You're listening to a podcast from 702. The Literature Corner. Indeed. What is the last book you read? Or maybe, let's say, the last four or five months for that matter. I don't know whether you're a slow reader, a fast reader. doesn't matter. You've got to read at your own pace. And there's something beautiful about reading slowly for comprehension rather than to pretend that you are a fast reader. So whenever you last read a book, what did you make of it? What was the title? Uh, and I'll allow you 60 seconds to give us a brief synopsis of your reading experience and what the book is about. And end it by telling me, do you give it a thumbs up? Or a thumbs down. So we're doing book reviews today. And so maybe you stumbled upon a book that unexpectedly was amazing and you want to recommend other people to read it. Or it was horrible. You can also be brutally honest if you want to be and tell us uh, that this is a book where you wish you can get the time back that you spent uh, reading it and the money for purchasing it. O double one double eight three O seven O two book reviews. We've got Fiona Snickers with us, South African author, not just an excellent author, but also and this is important to me, I was moaning on Facebook over this last night, an excellent reader and a reviewer. And I love authors who also love reading. Uh, sometimes the two don't always go together. Fiona, it is wonderful having you in the studio. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on at short notice as well. Thanks for inviting me. But are you a slow reader or a fast reader, by the way? How would you, I, whatever that means, you know, how long is a piece of string? I used to be a very fast reader and social media has eroded my concentration span <laughs> and turned me into a bit of a slow reader, I'm embarrassed to say. And I'm trying to get that reading speed back up again. Just that, that focused, deep concentration mm. without sort of itching towards the phone or the Netflix or the whatever. <laughs> I go through different waves. There are parts of the month or even a particular month in the year where I can read very quickly. And then it just starts slowing down as well. But I've had this conversation with uh, writer and academic Richard Pitthouse. I also think, I mean, he's a ferocious reader and a slow reader. I don't know how he does both. There is also something beautiful and, and not sufficiently appreciated about reading slowly, uh, not just to up the comprehension, I think, but I would also say, unless you're particularly skilled with your fast reading, to truly appreciate the aesthetic quality of great writing, Sometimes slow reading is important. Yes, it definitely has value. Definitely. Mm. Okay. Now, you have been diving into some books. At least one of them is a book that um, I want to get my own hands on, uh, not just because I love Zuki Warner, but also because I think young adult fiction is very important to try and promote, particularly located within our communities and region. Which one shall we start with that you want to talk into? I want to start off with that one. Okay. Um, Water Birds on the Lake Shore, edited by Zukiswa Vanner. It's an anthology of African young adult fiction um, published by Uwida Press. Um, it will launch next week at the Ake Festival in Nigeria mm. um, and will shortly be available in South Africa. Um, it is a remarkable and I think at this stage, unfortunately, unique anthology um, it is the first dedicated anthology of African young adult fiction. Um, it came into being after eight workshops were held in eight African cities and the best stories to emerge from those were chosen. They were then interestingly given to teams of teenage readers to mm. look at. And um, if the teenage readers liked a story that the adult facilitators did not like, 
it got into the anthology because this isn't one of those YA anthologies that is actually there to please adults. Mm. It is for teenage readers. I would say anybody from the age of 12 upwards can mm. really, really enjoy this anthology. Um, the stories hail from literally all over Africa. I was trying to count up the countries, Benin, Cameroon, <laughs> Botswana, Malawi, Mauritius, Nairobi, just absolutely everywhere. Um, and the, the themes that arise are very typical young adult themes like um, feeling alienated from your family, cut off from your peers, annoyed with your siblings, romance, maybe your parents are fighting, um, a first sexual experience, and then also um, fantasy and what can be described as science fiction, um, really delving deep into the world of the imagination. Um, the stories are remarkable and they are also remarkable because young adult fiction at the moment is very focused on the so-called own voices movement, um, finding stories that emerge organically and authentically from a particular community. And this is the book that I've read that does this the best. These are oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely that's authentic, homegrown voices, mm. unmediated by anything else. Um, Often in African fiction, we find, and there's nothing wrong with this, authors who are part of the diaspora, mm. perhaps have been living in Paris for 20 years. Mm -hmm. This isn't that. This is, for the most part, authors who were born in and still live in their communities and are writing with incredible beauty and authenticity about their lived experience. That's gorgeous. Besides the excellence in terms of the themes being located Right here, right now, rather than diasporically. What about the quality of the writing? Does it match the brilliance and the relevance of the thematic range as well? Um, the there are books, there are stories in here that are absolute gems, and there are stories that are brave enough to experiment with the narrative voice. Hmm. There were at least two that I found that write in the second person, hmm. where they're saying to you. You That's are doing brave. this. It is brave. <laughs> it is brave. And they, they succeed in what they're doing because it situates you in the story. You can imagine yourself as a young person in the story, seeing through the eyes of the narrator, experiencing what the narrator is experiencing. Um, obviously, the quality is not 100% even because it never is in any anthology, but it's high. It's good quality, high quality writing. I was extremely impressed. I, that sounds to me like a thumbs up from Fiona. It absolutely is. And, and coming from you, that's a massive, massive thumbs up. Why is there a, I was going to say gap, but lacuna <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to this part of, of the market? I don't know. There is a perception, certainly in South Africa, and I suspect in Africa, that Local YA is a hard sell. Okay. That for some reason it, it's not always commercially successful. Mm. And that young local readers are turning to the international titles, something that's been made into a movie, mm -hmm. um, for their reading fodder. And it's unfortunate. And I think that something like this could spearhead the kind of change Stunning. that we need. Stunning. Well, all the best to you, Zukuswa. I hope that 
we have good distributions channels and that the launch goes well, I'll do my bit as well. I haven't yet got a copy of this. I know you are now listening to the podcast whenever you will be listening to this. Um, I can't remember if I've yet got a copy of it, but I'll, I'll look out for one. Certainly will buy one. Oh, double one, double eight, three, oh, seven, oh, two. You can also do a quick review. You don't have to be as good and professional as Fiona. Just tell us what you've been reading. Uh, very briefly, what it's about and whether you give it a thumbs up or the thumbs down. Dion, good morning. You see this, how are you? Extremely well. We're talking books, so I'm always happy. Yeah, okay. So my my synopsis of a book that I read recently isn't nearly as professional as the one you've just had. But um, I actually came across this book from the uh, uh, SPCA second-hand bookstore. If anyone wants uh, you know, inexpensive books, it's a brilliant place to buy books. It's called A Little Life. Um, I forget the name of the author. Um, it's quite a difficult name to pronounce, but I don't know if you've read it. It's about four college students who uh, who, who get together in New York. Yes. Um, they, they meet at university, um, and it's really just a, a story about their lives. Mm. Um, it, it's one of those novels that it, it, it's incredibly traumatic to read. I it's haven't read it. I've, I've seen it around. It was, um, yeah. Yeah, it was shortlisted yeah. for the Man Booker Prize. How did you find it? Oh, it's possibly one of the best reads I've, I've ever read. <laughs> um, it's just, it hits you in the stomach. <laughs> you have to think about it. It's one of those books where you walk around all day thinking about it. Um, uh, it it's, it's, a, it's hard to read and it's hard to digest the kinds of things that happen to these kids. Mm. Um, and the one boy in particular, mm. um, the kind of trauma he goes through. But it's absolutely compelling reading. It's beautifully written. And it's just such a wonderful story about uh, four men who develop a love for each other um, mm. and that love persists throughout their lives and you know, it's a very sensitive book it's very sensitively written and you know I think for men in particular to read it, it's wonderful because okay. it gives you such a wonderful insight into mm. into relationships and what relationships should be rather yeah. than how we how that we sounds stunning that. sounds like a thumbs up from you for Hania Yanagihara's book Thank you. You said it. <laughs> I've seen yeah. the name, but now I'm forced to broadcast it. I hope I've said it right. Next time I see it, I'll take it home with me. It is a book that had some excellent reviews, shortlisted for a number of awards as well. Incidentally, have you seen it or read it? I haven't, no. I, th I think I have to be in a very mm. emotionally strong place to tackle that book. Mm. Red One, good morning. Good morning. How's it? What have you been reading, Red One? Tell us. Uh, well, thanks. And how are you, Sivius? Excellent. Thank you for asking. Uh, Sivius, uh, I know you're an avid reader, and uh, you know I'd like to ask if you've ever read the book by Michael H. Hart, The Hundred, A Ranking of the Most Influential Persons in History. Ah, uh, I haven't. Have you? Uh, yes, I read, uh, read the extracts of the book, mm -hmm. and I can tell you this was way back in, 19, in the 1980s. And uh, I think, you know, if... Any person has to read that book. It will take, change the perceptions of people that have, that people have of certain uh, historical figures. Okay, interesting one. So there's another thumbs up. Um, yeah, those are the kinds of books, the rankings, that kind of thing. It's not the kind of book that I would typically reach out for, but anything that can get the nation reading, I suppose it's better rather than having people who are not reading. 19 minutes after 11. The Literature Corner. We're doing book reviews and we're hanging out with one of our country's best authors, Fiona Sneakers, who's with us. What is the second one that we're going to look into, Fiona? It is a work of historical fiction called... But Deliver Us From Evil by <laughs> Motswana writer Laurie Kubutsile. 
and it is a remarkable book. Um, it's about two young girls who find themselves in a way on the wrong side of history and on the wrong side of some powerful vested interests. Um, and Te Bolang and her mother have to flee their community when her father is accused of witchcraft. And Beatrice is kidnapped from her Korana community by raiders when she is mistaken for a missing white child because she has light skin. Both of them have to rely on their wits to survive and are forced to make some difficult moral choices. Um, it is a book that's remarkable for its intimate knowledge of the period and the place. Um, and also as a story of resourcefulness and survival on the part of these two girls who then become women and have to navigate this extremely uncertain life that they've been pitched into. Um, in many ways, it reads like a thriller. It's a page turner. It's a definite thumbs up from me. Um, the author also wrote The Scattering, which was, I can say, a shattering novel about the genocide of the Herero and Nama people in Namibia in the early 1900s. Um, that won an award at the, actually the third largest literary festival in the world, which is held at the United Arab Emirates. Um, and for me, it, it was a very interesting study in how to process pain through historical fiction um, and why more and more authors seem to be turning to that, dealing with mm. modern contemporary issues through the lens of history. Um, I've been thinking about why that is. Um, and my third book, Upturned Earth by Karen Jennings, is also mm. a, a work of historical fiction um, dealing with the copper mining industry in Namaqualand um, in the 1870s, uh, there are two men who come to this newly formed copper mining community, one to be a magistrate in the district and one because he's looking for his brother um, who is a miner and he gets drawn into the mining community himself. Um, and a dispute arises between the miners and this copper mining company, just known as the company, um, over working conditions and wages and so on. And it leads to a massacre where the miners are brutally massacred. Um, if, if there's time, I'd like to read a very brief extract from the novel. This is from the point of view of the magistrate. Mm, sounds fascinating. He went down for breakfast without having slept. He had been unable to close his eyes, seeing before him too much of what had passed. The army of company men had walked amongst the fallen. Those who were alive, who lifted their heads, who called out, had been silenced. Guards stood on the backs of anyone who tried to crawl away, punched the ones that rose. Before his eyes, living men had passed away, dying as they asked for mercy. Shots had rung out, men slain where they lay. So the parallels with the Marikana massacre are undeniable. Um, and the book actually starts off with an epigraph, which is a quote from um, the book hmm. by Peter Alexander et al. Marikana, hmm. uh, a view from the mountain hmm. and a case to answer. And the quote is, even the soil here is not like back home, attributed to mine worker one. So th there are clear parallels here. And I ask myself, why not just write a book about Marikana? Mm. Is it too soon, too raw? 
does this author maybe feel as though it's not directly her story to tell, mm. that we still need to listen to the voices of people who went through that experience, it's a, good, it's a very good allow question. allow them to air their own views, their own narrative. Mm. Uh, why would an author, for example, not talk about how witchcraft is maybe used in modern Botswana as a tool when vested interests are fighting against each other? Yeah. Why set it in the past? Mm. Perhaps there are some issues that are so raw and sensitive that they are more safely dealt with when the whole situation is placed in the past, in history. There is an interesting creative challenge that I think is fairly obvious. Whether you successfully navigate the challenge is a separate question. And I, and I wonder how these two books one by one, fear on the following challenge from a writer's point of view, uh, Fiona. The first is that you need to do enough history for your history-obsessed reader to not feel like you are skimping or getting stuff wrong or you spend five days in the archives rather than 500. So how much is enough to do justice to the historical events that is the structure or the story or the time period within which you are exploring these interesting, enduring moral and other kind of political questions. Mm -hmm. So that's the one challenge, the historical element. And then the second element from a writing point of view is obviously that the story must still be compelling, regardless the historical stuff. I don't want to sound like I'm reading a data dump from the archives as well. And sometimes historical fiction gets it right, sometimes not as right. Sometimes the historical stuff is done justice, but the story itself, the moral complexity, that's skimping a little bit. So other times, it's very clear that someone has a very interesting set of normative thoughts they want to leave you with as the as the reader. Mm -hmm. But maybe they shouldn't have bothered to try and set it in 1850. How do these two get on in terms of those two navigating those challenges? I strongly suspect that both these authors spent a lot of time on their research, but they don't hit us with an info dump, hmm. which I'm very grateful for because I've got no patience with <laughs> yeah, that. Me too. Instead, they situate you in the place and time through a very sensuous manner. Uh, the book Upturned Earth opens with this magistrate being lowered from the ship at Port Nolith. <laughs> he's just arrived from overseas and he's about to take up this post and he's being lowered from the ship in a basket that can hold four men and he feels the rough edges of the basket pressing against his shoulder blades. And that was just so vivid, so sensuous and Laurie's book as well, but Deliver Us From Evil, inhabits the characters in a way that you see and hear and feel and smell mm. everything from their point of view, which gives an impression of great authenticity mm. and really situates you um, where they want you to be. So I think both these books are extremely successful, both as works of historical fiction and works of, it's difficult to say moral fiction because that sounds off-putting, but sure. th they are morally sensitive mm. and morally very serious. And as such, I think are going to be taken very seriously. By I wonder what the trends are. I suppose we need to speak to the people who sell the books at our bookstores, both the massive chains and also the indies as well, because the success um, and the prominence, for example, locally of the recent work of Zakes and also Fred 
Zeixmundar, Fred Kumalo, whether there's an interest in this part of the markets being serviced in a particular kind of way or whether those are anomalies because these are two very prominent um not just excellent writers, but dare I say it, not in a bad way if they're listening, also kind of like celebrity writers as well. But I've got a sense that there may be a renewed interest here amongst young readers, young writers, to think seriously about this genre because very often we, our entry into writing, fiction and nonfiction, is to, and there's nothing wrong with this, is to write into the present. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether there's an interesting turn that's happening here where we will also expand which genres we find interesting both to read and to attempt to write? I think, well, I'm, I'm personally dying to read Fred Kumalo's The Longest March. It looks absolutely fascinating and, again, shines a light on a corner of history that I knew absolutely nothing mm. about, and I think most of us don't. And to have authors of the prominence of Fred Kumalo and Zaik Dar being willing to dabble in historical fiction, I think has given it... And a renewed interest in the legitimacy mm. that other authors can then ride in on as yeah. well. Um, and I think it's necessary. I think it's part of, of the process of dealing with pain is looking at the past as well as Absolutely. the present and indeed the future. Absolutely. Bills, very quickly, what book do you want to share with us that you've read? Hello. Go ahead. Hi. Um, so I have read... Um, uh, it's called Unbecoming to Become by Ayanda Boto. She's a local actor on one of the telenovelas. Mm. And, and initially, um, I had thought I don't want to read any of these books by celebrities because I find they just <laughs> levels of death and their books have all types of errors. And I'm like, I don't want to read any of them. And when I started reading the book, I did, you know, there are a couple of errors, but not more than like 10 came. It's, and it's a well-written book. Um, and beyond that, initially as well, when I saw the title, I was like, I'm so annoyed because everybody has been becoming something. <laughs> and people are going to be smart by saying, I'm becoming to become. Yes. But when I read it, she, she explained, and I, I think I was particularly impressed by how she is a storyteller. Hmm. So the book is basically just about um, her journey, her life, but as a woman. And I think it also just came at a right time. Um, for women in this country. Hmm. And um, she explores a range of issues, and I think also she speaks as a young girl, as somebody's life, as belonging in a patriarchal society, um, belonging to a church, deciding not to go to a church. Um, but it's just so deep. It's so deep, and I think I'm also impressed by, you know, I love people with a backbone that make decisions out of their experiences and not saying religion taught me this. Hmm. Or... I don't know what to do, but some experience and reflecting and then developing that mind. Um, so I just have so much more respect from her than I probably would have initially. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know how. So it's a thumbs up from you. Yes, that's, that's a definite thumbs up from you. I think women definitely in this country mm. must read the book. Um, I think it's so relatable and she. She, she sort of puts in a bit of zulu in there and that makes it really nice. Hmm. Um, but you get it. You get it. There's no way nobody will get it. Hmm. Um, okay. And I think what's important is that she's actually a storyteller. Hmm. That we have come through from just seeing her act hm
Thanks, Bills. So that's a thumbs up for Unbecoming to Becoming. Fiona, thank you so much for sharing your love of reading with us. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to your reviews. Those are three excellent, excellent books from the sounds of it. Thank you so much for coming into the show. Thank you.